Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining me today is our former intern and Mohawk Studios, Soren Johnson. Mohawk, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be back. Mohawk Games, isn't it? Not Studios. Uh, yes, Mohawk Games. It's you know, it's a <laughs> coin flip, actually. Like yeah. I've, I've misidentified so many things, either studio or games. Who can say? I think the important point is the Mohawk, which, by the way, I notice you're not wearing anymore. Yeah, I had to decide that this uh, upcoming GGC whether it was going to be my shtick, because if I went two years in a row, that was basically going to be it forever, or if I was going to just, you know, save it for really special occasions. So, you see the way I went. Oh, man. Well, it's, I'm, I'm sorry you flinched, uh, I gotta say. <laughs> like, uh, on the streets of GDC, outside, around Moscone, looking for the uh, giant spiky mohawk was basically the only way I ever found you. Uh, so, I'm sorry to see it go. Uh, we also welcome back our friend... Uh, John Schaefer. Hello, good to be back. Uh, no Mohawks here, I'm afraid. What's the uh, What's the status of that uh, game you're working on there, John? When are we getting uh, code? It's It's coming. You. Th- the more you complain, the less likely you are to ever get a build. You realize that, right? Well, no, I didn't. I didn't realize that at all. Actually, if I if I already lost my chance to play at the gates, I'm gonna make you buy this game, and you're gonna love it. And it's gonna be all the worse. It's gonna be such a bitter review. You write. I don't know, man. I played Civ Five at launch, so I still got faith that I'll have things to complain about. <laughs> Zinger Zachney, I called you out. <laughs> and from Red Hook Studios, we also welcome Tyler Sigmund. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. It's awesome to be here. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the pros and cons of early access, I guess, from from a designer perspective. And uh, I'll get out of the way here quickly because, as I understand it, there's actually a pretty uh, a pretty significant difference of opinion, uh, sort of splitting this panel down the middle. Uh, where John, we've talked before, I believe we talked at last GDC about early access and especially like designing strategy games, and you were fairly adamant uh, that you weren't wild about the idea and you thought it could introduce a lot of problems to the design process. And then uh, Soren has obviously embraced early access with uh, with both arms uh, for, for Offworld Trading Company. So I, I'm kind of curious, uh, why don't we start with the, misgiv- the case for the misgivings? Um, John, obviously, like, this is... Early access has become really, really popular for a lot of developers. Uh, it's hardly any game now launches without going through early access. Um, have you reconsidered your your, your position at all? Uh, what misgivings are keeping you from from jumping on that bandwagon? <laughs> well, I hate I hate to uh, deflate things too much uh, right from the get go, but uh, obviously, I I mean, at the gates is available already in a form of early access, so I can't just you know smack it down completely and say that it's terrible and Every developer who uses it is evil, that sort of thing. But uh, there are certainly still concerns I have about it, and they're pretty much the same as the last time we talked about it. Uh, Basically, to summarize my stance, uh, I see issues on both the development end and the player end. Uh, On the development end, I think that uh, there's a potential risk where if you put your game out uh, too early in an, in an immature form, uh, instead of grabbing a lot of attention when the game comes out, and uh, you know, which can be especially important when you're making a, a smaller strategy game, if you're not making a Civ, if you're not making a StarCraft, a lot of times it can be hard to get eyeballs for, for your little strategy game. Uh, so if you're, if you're kind of spreading out the launch a little bit more, that, that can be potentially damaging to your, your long-term potential for success. 
Uh, and obviously there are benefits on the other side, but you know, my role here is to be the early access hater. So I will let uh, our, our friends uh, speak more to that. But, you know, that's kind of the main concern I see from a development perspective. On the player end, uh, you know, this goes for me as a player as well, not just, you know, me pontificating about what other people would like. Uh, when I see a game is out on early access, in a sense, I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, oh, wait, well, it's not really done yet. And then I really put on my developer hat and I say, ooh, okay, that means it's probably going to be 50% as fun as it's going to be you know, 30% as fun as it's going to be when it's actually, you know, quote unquote done. Uh, you know, I probably speak for a lot of people when I say there's just not that much time in the day. And when you want to spend your gaming hours on something, you want it to be a complete experience. You want it to, to get the most bang for your buck. And if a game is going to be great and it's going to come out and be done at some point, you, you want to play it when it's done. You want to enjoy that. And a lot of times I find that uh, if I'm playing a game in early access, I don't come back to it later. I'm just, I don't have that desire to, or I feel like I've experienced it or I just forget about it and I never think about it again. Uh, so those, those are kind of the two main uh, concerns I have about the model. Uh, but uh, from here, I will let, uh, you know, maybe you guys talk about some of the uh, benefits because there are certainly those as well. And I can, I can see them from my perspective. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, it's funny to hear John talk about that because he, in the sense that, um, he's talking about it from his perspective as a, as a, as a player as well as a developer. And, um, you know, I'm very pro early access, but on the other hand, you know, I haven't actually played very many early access games at all. Um, you know, if for no reason, no other reason, then, you know, it's, it's a battle for me to be able to play, you know, a lot of games period, especially when I'm in, you know, the middle of, uh, you know, a sort of the core development of, of a game. Um, I, from my point of view, I, I mostly just think of early access from the point of view of a developer, which is that to me, this is the only, the only actual way to make a, you know, a robust, um, you know, a robust, well-balanced, fun game, uh, assuming that you're not making some sort of content based game, you know, which is meant to be basically digested once, but if you're meant to, making a game that's meant to be replayed, uh, which is generally speaking the old, only type of game I'd ever be interested in making. Like you absolutely have to find a way to expose it to people um, well before you release the game, because until you get, you know, regular people playing the game, and that means not people who are your friends or people who, uh, you know, even even people who are you know taken and you know put into, you know, a testing lab or something, which is you know an artificial environment, but you know like real people playing the game who just you know happened upon it. Um, you really don't know what you're getting. You really don't know what you need to know about your game, about what works and what doesn't work, and you know what's wrong with your assumptions. So, like to me, that's um, like the biggest problem our industry faces, in my opinion, is is waste, which is people spending time on uh, features and concepts and mechanics um, that turn out to be bad and could have been you know, cut or changed or fixed if they had had feedback when there was still time to do something about that. Um, so, for example, with, with Civ 4, we uh, found, you know, this was well before, you know, there was any sort of infrastructure for early access. Um, and, 
So we pulled in like about 100, 150 fans. Um, and this is, by the way, how John eventually ended up joining Fraxis um, to play um, build, uh, builds of the game in, in the first half of the project, you know, which over a year and a half before we shipped the game. Um, and having that group of players available you know, was hugely valuable to us. Um, now, back then, you know, it was, there was all of this um, infrastructure re- required to even make that, that possible. Uh, I think we had to mail out disks. Is that right, John? Yeah, I still, I still have, uh, you know, like version, you know, 0.72 <laughs> on yeah, disk. Yeah. Um, and there was like, our, our publishers were very concerned about, you know, versions leaking out. So we, I think each of the updates we did was had its own set of copy protection. Um, and, uh, you know, there was just all of this um, rigmarole, I guess, that, you know, you had to go through to actually get the game in players' hands. Uh, it was still totally worth it. But for, you know, a small team that, you know, at least we had the public, you know, I had the public resources of saying, okay, someone will actually take care of that. I was not actually the person sticking discs in envelopes, right? Like that, <laughs> that would not have been great for me. But uh, as a small team, like it's, it's one, as soon as I saw early access, I was like, wow, that's, that's wonderful. It's wonderful to have an infrastructure in place so that, you know, this, this crucial part of game development is now, uh, you know, easily available to you. Yeah, I think one interesting thing is um, early access can mean a lot of things right now. And I think on one hand is the playtesting, like like you're talking about, Soren. And then now because of Steam, specifically because of Steam, you know, when you release a game early access on Steam, I think you have to look at it like a form of launch. And so, um, you know, I think there are still ways to get people playing your game outside of, you know, putting it on that most visible of storefronts. Um and, you know, we've been lucky enough that early access has worked out really well for Darkest Dungeon so far. I mean, we still have a lot to do, but so far it's been good. But I think that um, kind of the advice I would give anyone is, this goes a little bit um, with what you were saying, John, is the problem now is it is viewed as a launch. And so if, you, if you're not at that critical point where it is fun, you know, and I think that's, you're saying, you know, a concern that if the game's not fun, then you're kind of, you know, there's just so many problems that can come out of that. And I think the biggest thing you can do is not release it at that visible early access too soon, because I, I think, you know, given the climate out there that, um, you know, you're sort of not alone in your misgivings that, you know, there's a lot of fans that, you know, a lot of gamers that have been burned by early access and have now, you know, ad- adopted a dogmatic stance of, you know, I don't buy early access games or whatever it is. So I think that there's kind of two phases I, w- I would look at of, the first phase of, of playing amongst friends and family, but then maybe getting it out to non-friends, but in a way that still isn't incredibly visible, like Steam. And then the second phase would be something like the actual, you know, launch of an early access on Steam. Because it, it's really odd, despite the blue banner and despite all the tagging you have to give your product, and some people give a lot of messages as the game's booting up. You know, I had one one person who came to me and said, oh, you know, I played the game for 55 hours, and then I realized it wasn't early. It was early access. Like he had no idea. He had heard it from friends, bought it, you know? And I think that's a messaging problem because, um, it can get out of control. Um, when, you know, if, if you are judged as though it were complete, um, you know, it's, and it's amazing no matter how much you kind of broadcast it, that it can still be a surprise to people. <laughs> well, in in that sense, I would say that, uh, so, something that I've certainly learned as my, in my time as a developer is that people don't really read, 
Uh, so <laughs> if you have something that says early access on the Steam page, it, you know, like 10% of people will read that. The other 90% are just like, ah, I heard about it on a podcast. I'm going to play that. Uh, you know, which, which kind of leads me back to my, my primary criticism. And you, you noted that you, you want to make sure that the game is actually fun before you put it out there for early access. But I would, I would go further and say, I want my game to be as fun as it will, you know, maybe not ever be, but 95, 98% of the way there. Uh, because a lot of times you only get that one chance. And when you're making smaller games and you don't have the giant marketing budget or a giant marketing push, that, that can be, you know, life or death in, in a lot of ways. And, and certainly there are examples like, I don't know, Minecraft and, uh, you know, Starbound, where games have done incredibly well in early access uh, and, you know, made tons and tons of money and gone on and been very successful. But a lot of times, if your game isn't as fun as it could possibly be, people will play it and then they'll just say, eh, you know, that was fun. And that's a shame. We, we kind of come at it, you know, people that are probably listening to this podcast certainly are, you know, probably what they would what we would call hardcore gamers or close to it. They're not, uh, you know, the, the 5 million people that have bought Civ five and, you know, 85% of them have played for an hour or two and that's it. And that's honestly a, a big chunk of an audience for every game. And so most of the people that are playing and following these games aren't people that are, you know, following along in early access and playing for 50 hours. It's people that are playing for a few hours and a lot of times, whether or not they recommend the game to their friends can be the difference between the game succeeding or not. So, you know, again, I don't want to be cast as like, oh, I hate early access. It doesn't make sense. Like, uh, you know, Soren, you talked about just there's some invaluable things to that. We, we have a test group as well with At The Gates and the game wouldn't be nearly as good as it is without their help. Uh, but, you know, I think, at least for me, I think the dividing line really is is your game available for sale on Steam or not? <laughs> because that's kind of what people see is, okay, this game is out. If it's on Steam, it's out, period. doesn't matter what you what labels you put on it. So uh, prior to that point, you can kind of, you know, almost hide the game away, which is what we're basically doing with At The Gates. Um, but we, we basically said, you know, At The Gates will not be available on Steam Early Access, period, uh, because that's that's kind of where I've drawn the line. You're never going to do early access? I mean, capital E-A, early access? Correct. Wow. That seems... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're having this podcast. I, I, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, most of the stuff you were saying, I really agree with, but I would strongly disagree with that you, ne you never go up at all. I Definitely. I'm, let, let, well, let me, let me unpack what I'm trying to say here. Um, so first of <laughs> Gauntlets all... Gauntlets are off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and, you know, I care about this because I, I really want to see At The Gate succeed. So if, if nothing else, like I'm trying to pitch you on, you know, oh. doing the right thing for your project. But, you know? So you're basically saying At The Gates is going to fail if I don't do early access. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. Oh, this just turned into the Come to Jesus meeting for, for John. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. You said, uh, Rob, you said the split was down the middle here. I'm expecting you to come in on my side at some point. <laughs> Well, let me let me back up to one some of the things that John said. So you said that you know you don't want your game to be sort of out there, at least sort of from a marketing point of view, where you're really pushing it. 
to people until it's like 95, 98% of as, as fun as it could be. I mean, to me, to me, that's a bit of a, a catch 22, right? Like the, the way you get it to 95, 98% is by getting it in front of people. But if you aren't going to put it in front of people until you can't get, but you can't wait to get in front of people until you get to the level where it can't be. Well, you, I, I think you understand what I'm saying. Um, you know, you can't, from my point of view, I can't get off world to that, you know, nearly finished state without, you know, having a, a real critical mass of massive users playing it, especially since it's multiplayer. I mean, that's another aspect that maybe, you know, it, it makes it a little bit stronger in okay. our case. If I can just interject there, though, like John already has like his his test group, like he, yeah. he asked people who are playing an early version of the game. Why do you need that? Like that critical mass? I, I can see it from maybe a QA standpoint just to see how the game behaves on a broader sample of of hardware setups but like right. beyond that for like polishing the game and and refining the design uh what what do you get out of that expanded sample pool yeah well this is where we really should distinct try to distinguish between you know lowercase early access and uppercase you know steam early access um because first of all i mean i think everyone is on board with the idea of like put you know put up you know put up a widget on your um you know, on your website, you know, allowing people to buy your game, um, you know, have a private development forum where they can, you know, test it out and give you their feedback. And, you know, you're going to find your most dedicated players and fans that way. And you're going to absolutely get a lot of good feedback. If you're not doing that, like you are clearly doing the wrong thing development wise, right? Like that, I think we're all 100% on board with that. Um, so then the question is, well, what else, right? Is that, is that amount of feedback enough? Um, I mean, I can't speak for John, but for our part, you know, we did do this. We had a founders program that started last summer, um, and um, we had probably about a thousand people come into it, um, which is enough that we got, um, you know, we got definitely some very, very useful feedback. But we also had these lulls where, for you know, two or three weeks at a time, you know, there would just be maybe a trickle of posts on the forums, and it was like, well, this we're not really. We're not really getting something valuable here, right? This is not, um, you know, it's it's definitely it's definitely helping, but at the same time, you know, we're chewing through our development schedule, and you know, if the changes that we put into the project for the in the last two or three months, we're not really getting feedback on, then we're putting ourselves in danger of you know having wasted our time, right? Uh, John has. You know, I don't want to start going into project, uh, you know, team finances, but <laughs> uh, our our teams are structured a little differently. Where John has a little bit more flexibility to, if he wants to, like fundamentally change some of the core concepts to at the gates, uh, he can do that. So that is that. I mean, certainly, there's no one answer for every team, right? And I, I think it's important to to highlight some of the things that make us different. Um, you know, Offworld is you know a, a game that has a strong multiplayer component. Um, so you do need slightly more people. You know, we're we're a bigger team, so you know we don't, you know, we do have kind of a very fixed uh, deadline. So you know, every couple of months we go without, you know, a, a solid amount of feedback. You know, could potentially put us in in trouble. Um, but here's here's what I see is is the issue. There needs to be some sort of um, there needs to be some sort of bridge between the you know, lowercase early access that's like run through your website and the uppercase early access of suddenly being on the front page of Steam, right? Um, I'd be interested to hear, you know, Tyler's feelings about this because you you probably got um, slammed with users even more than, than we did. Um, but for us to go from kind of like a trickle of players each day 
to being suddenly on the front page of Steam where we just had tons and tons and tons of people coming into the game where really honestly now there's more people than we there's more people than we need um although you know there is the problem of like they all kind of came in at once like i actually kind of wish that there was a middle stage where basically you could be up on steam which means you can take advantage of their infrastructure but you're not necessarily not necessarily being promoted yet like it would be nice to be able to have a, a switch to flip when you say okay we're on steam there is a store page like i can give people a link and it will take it to that it, it, it'll take them to that but you know when you go up on early access Basically, Steam gives you a try from a marketing perspective, right? They put you on their front page banner, and depending upon how well do you do, they can keep you up there. And it is exactly what you know John and Tyler has been saying. It is a launch, right? But I didn't, I don't necessarily want a launch on the first day when I'm up on Steam, right? Like some of the first things we were dealing with that first week was, oh, the UI is not drawing on a whole bunch of Macs, you know, and like, oh, we're getting all this weird lag that we didn't anticipate, and like. You know, we, that, that stuff we had, we didn't find out at all back when we were in the, you know, lowercase early access phase of, you know, about a thousand people, you know, playing, getting the game through our website. But we got, you know, information on that immediately. So, um, like, I feel there needs to be a bit of a bridge. And I, I'm hoping, like, I'm actually happy that early access kind of has a bad name on Steam um, because, like, I don't, you know, I, I want people to... I want people who are not on board with getting a game that's not finished to not buy our game when it's early access, right? That's that's one of the reasons why we have a very high price point in early access right now. Like we're selling for forty dollars, you know, we're not we don't want people to think that they're getting a deal to buy our game. You know, we want them to be excited to buy our game because they're going to be able to see what a year of development of a strategy game looks like, right? Like there are a lot of people who are really interested in that, but most people. Are, are, are probably not and that's great you know i hope those people just pay attention to the project and you know look to buy it when we do release i feel like early access though has a bad name on steam the way like major publishers have a bad name with gamers and yet their games continue to sell like mm. i feel like there's a lot of I feel like there's a bit of posturing when it when it comes to early access, where I think you'll have a lot of people claiming they don't want to buy unfinished games. <laughs> they, they've been burned. They're not going to do that again. But the next time the hype train rolls through town, you know they're flinging money at it to to to, to try and get a ticket on board. I think that's I think there's a little bit of that happening with, with early access because certainly it feels like, you know, once you have that that word of mouth, once you are a hot property. Um, I don't see a lot of people nursing reservations. The moment there's a, a pretty far along early access game out there that's being talked up and, and is, is on sale, uh, suddenly I don't see those, I don't see those reservations toward, toward early access. I mean, certainly like, you know, take Darkest Dungeon. Um, I was sort of flabbergasted to discover it is an early access game myself because I had heard so much about this game. Uh, so many people basically giving it unequivocal recommendations uh, that at no point did it even occur to me that this was still a work in progress uh, because sort of the internet hive mind had already reached its conclusions. This was a cool game and you should buy cool games. Go get it. And so that's that's kind of where I think things have ended up with early access where the, it, like as, as you were talking about, it's kind of a launch and you know, you, the word of mouth will direct things uh, one way or another. But 
I, I don't think a lot of people coming at it really treat it like this is an unfinished piece of software. You know, we still get a lot of those comments. It's just hard to tell uh, by comments. I mean, a lot of people saying I don't buy early access games, but I might make an exception for Darkest Dungeon. Um, it, the hard thing to tell is just, you know, what what vocal minority it is. I mean, I think people that it's one of those things where people who are, you know, against buying early access games make their voices really loudly heard. And everyone else just quietly goes about buying games and plays games and doesn't feel the need to kind of make a big stand about it, in my experience. And so I think that um, it's difficult to tell, but I think the inflection point, or what I should say, a lot of people felt the inflection point was, um, was I think a bit of the uh, space base event, you know, a few months ago. And I had, you know, good developer friends um, whom I, you know, respect entirely going, you know, RIP early access, early access is done. This is the thing that's going to kill it. It's done. It's done. And, and then in rally, what's happened is um, I think people have just been waiting for kind of a groundswell to go the other way. And so there's been, you know, a few games in the last, you know, month, two months that have launched and, you know, I'm seeing all these uh, posts and things about, oh, this restores faith to early access. So I think there's kind of an emotional content, you know, component to people just kind of want to call the next shot, you know, and this is true with Kickstarter, it's true with early access. I think it's true with the old PC games are dead or, you know, RPGs are dead or, you know, adventure games are dead. People are just kind of wanting to call something either fantastic or, or dead. Um, and, you know, we benefited a bit from, like Soren was saying, um, there's an advantage to, to there being suspicion about early access or maybe, you know, people being somewhat uh, cautious about it. We felt it was a bit of an opportunity that if if we could do it right, and I'd be lying if I, if I said we knew the game was going to do as well it, as it is done, but we felt like if as long as we don't basically shit the bed, sorry for cussing on the podcast, but... Uh, oh, no, we do it all the time here. Okay, that, you know, this would become a story. You know, and it has like we've gotten a fair amount of publicity where the only message is just like this was an early access game that is actually good. You know, and that if early access was just completely full of, you know, of things like that, it wouldn't be a story. So one thing (laughs) that's worked for us a bit is um, is sort of defying convention at various stages of the project. So just by way of example, when we launched our first trailer, it was our announced trailer. This must have been October 2013. Um, conventional wisdom was kind of like, you know, 30 to 60 seconds, you know, smash cut every half a second, like MTV style. And, um, you know, we ended up doing like a two minute trailer that took about 50 seconds to even get into showing anything. And it was a risk and we weren't sure it was going to work, but, but it kind of, um, all the, it was a different taste on the palate. And so from an early access standpoint, um, this might sound a little surprising, but we really had no lowercase EA, um, you know, we did Kickstarter and all those things like that, but none of the rewards involved, you know, alpha access or super early access. We basically did all that testing amongst, you know, ourselves and, and a small group. I, I think there's a, a huge risk to that, first of all. Um, but in our case, what we were trying to do is at every point that we've released something to the public, and by public, I mean, even if it's just, you know, outside friends and family, we've tried to make sure that it it feels further along than maybe in some cases it even is. That was with the trailer. That was with our Kickstarter. That was with, you know, everything. And so, you know, we, we didn't do a small early access. Our three days before steam launched, you know, we gave it to backers and then, 
and streamers and press. And then, um, and then, you know, a few days later it launched to the general public on steam. Now there is a giant risk to that. I'm not saying even the next game, I'm not positive. I would do it the same way, but what it allowed us to do is, is make a first impression, um, once we were ready. And I think in some ways, maybe if we had trickled it out, that some of the things about the game that, you know, might not have been as surprising. Um, so it worked out, but it's, it felt like playing a little bit with, you know, super high risk. Cause, um, I'd be interested to know what are the um, what are the like the two or three things that like you immediately learned within a few days of once you started sending it out to backers or beyond early access that you didn't know about, you know, before then. Definitely, yeah, definitely a lot of things because despite you know, well, I mean, obviously the problem is with such a small group we couldn't thoroughly test everything in terms of even just gameplay, you know, let alone bugs. I mean, but. Um, one thing that's been incredibly valuable is watching streamers. And that, that's one thing I'd say that's kind of an advantage of, of big EA, I guess, is mm-hmm. or capital EA is we're, we're using the streamer, you know, we're watching streamers all the time. And that's, you know, as you guys know, focus tests, it can be difficult, you know, in terms of the traditional structure. And we find the streamers are just the best <laughs> focus yep. testing ever. You know, you just watch what they do and some are very technical and some are just really, you know, they don't think about things as much and, and watching them without us there to explain things. And, you know, that's the benefit, of course, of, of blind play testing. And ever since we launched, we've been just watching them all the time, learning an incredible amount. You know, that that confluence of just or the convergence of being able to, you know, the, the business models of the digital release plus this whole streaming revolution has been really valuable to us. Yeah, I mean, I, I found it was just an incredible experience too. Like, you know, within an hour of us being up on Steam Early Access, you know, I was just watching some guy play Off World right on my computer screen. You know, just you know, it was just incredible. You know, he uh, in the past, you know, ten years ago, it would have, or five years ago, it would have cost thousands of dollars to set something like like that up, and it wouldn't have really been a real true test. You know, um, I mean, that's that is like a fundamental change in in making games. I feel. Yeah, the the downside is, or, or the difficulty we knew kind of ahead of time is, you know, you kind of would like to get that feedback really early, like John was saying, but we also were just cognizant all along of not wanting to, not wanting to let things out when they were in that state where we knew it wasn't mm-hmm. maybe to the fun level that we wanted it to be. And that did at times, I would say, you know, at times during development damaged the speed at which we could have gathered information. Cause obviously if, if we had released a candidate out there and could watch people, we would have detected some things earlier, but we, we really were guarding that, that widespread first impression for as long as we could. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I'm often of two minds about the value of that first impression. I don't, I don't know how, how valuable it actually is or not, but it, you know, you, you might be right. But one thing we did do that, worked out well if you are concerned about first impression is we actually our founders program actually had an nda so that um you know we brought people in they played it internally but we asked them i mean they didn't sign anything it was more like just sort of a click-through thing um and i mean you know probably of dubious enforceability but uh, the way i usually put it is we basically just ask people nicely you know not to not to talk about the game not to show pictures of the game so on and so forth and we didn't have we didn't have a single leak and we got good feedback from everyone it actually it worked out really well <laughs> yep yep same same experience here it's pretty much the exact same thing we just asked people you know hey game's not done yet uh you know we're primarily opening this up so that you guys can help us out and one way you can help us out is by 
you know, kind of keeping things quiet. Uh, and, and that's certainly been, been hugely valuable. So, you know, can I jump back to a couple things that have been said earlier? Uh, one thing that Soren mentioned was kind of the difference between, uh, our two projects off world and at the gates. And I think those are huge critical factors. One is, uh, you know, budget and team size. You guys have, I don't know, at least 10 people, uh, we have one full-time person, that is me, and uh, multiplayer versus single player. If you're making a multiplayer game, you need you know a critical mass of players to actually be playing the game to produce any feedback. If you have you know three really dedicated players at any one time, even if they're constantly changing and providing good new feedback, you're not going to get a lot of valuable input about multiplayer just because you need need more you need more people <laughs> you just you yep. need enough people to be playing the game at one you know single time uh so those are two huge factors um one other thing i would say is that you know having an in between between you know lowercase and uppercase early access i think would be great i'm just not sure what that would be uh yeah. you know, steam has already tried to differentiate them i would say I, I think they were pushing early access quite a bit a few years ago but now they're kind of put, pulling back from that but they're still not yeah they, that they much still... distinction they're like they're trying they're almost yeah. trying to hide it in the steam store but even that isn't enough well they're not really they're still putting you right on the front page you know like i'm kind of surprised they do that like i think they should not do that or they should at least give you control of like giving you give you that one bullet of like okay when is the when is the day you want to be on the front page like i like i mentioned earlier but um they could definitely do a lot more to hide it yeah yeah it's they, they could it's i don't know i i'm hoping things uh get to that point i'm not going to be experimenting in that regard <laughs> because yeah. uh you know it is so important and that uh you know that kind of gets me to something that uh, you mentioned rob which is uh people are kind of like oh you know ugh, early access oh big publishers and they go out and buy stuff anyways but it's you know how much of that is okay well you know oh you know activision well i'm never buying them again okay well oh blizzard came out oh well whatever okay you know it's a blizzard game of course i'm gonna buy that or oh call of duty of course i'm gonna buy that uh you know it's different when you're a little indie developer where it's like oh man they completely screwed this up or you know early access blah or i ran into a bug and everybody did at the same time and i'm never buying that again that might be legitimate. They might never, you know, a large group of people might never buy games from that company again. Uh, it's different when you have that scale working in your favor. And there's a reason why big publishers can do that. And even if you, you, you say the same thing about early access, like, oh, well, you know, a lot of people are like uh, early access. But a lot of times it's a completely different game by a completely different company that comes out and everybody flocks to that. It's not people coming back to the same company, the same game. Same I'm not, I'm not game. sure. I'm not sure I actually buy that. Like, I, I think, like, if that were true, like, Paradox would be, like, two people in a closet in Stockholm. Like, that, like... If, I think they were at one point. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the very, very beginning. But, like, if if people who truly said, like, I'm never going to be... I've been burned by you guys. I'm never going to fall for this again. If people actually lived up to that, I think there would be a lot of studios, uh, a lot of publishers that would effectively be toast. And, uh, you know, I, I almost think the people who are most prone to making those, and this is this is actually just, like, speculation, but, like, looking at strategy, for instance, I feel like the people who are most prone to making those sort of blanket declarations, you know, fool me once, you know, 
Fool me twice, can't fool me again. People are the most prone to saying that. Um, I think we're also the people who are most prone to going back on it. Because I think if you, I think if you're the sort of person who who feels that offended that you got let down by a game you were really looking forward to, I kind of think you want to be fooled again. Um, <laughs> and I think, like you know, back in my time when I was really into wargaming, I saw like people on the wargamer forum, uh, you know, took Matrix out to the woodshed routinely, and then you know, here came the next Eastern Front huge grand operational uh, war game. And people were like, yeah, that looks really good. I love, nobody makes games like this. I'm on board. I think the same thing happens with, with games like Paradox. So I'm just, I don't, I don't trust, I don't trust that, I don't trust anyone who says like, I'm never doing this again. Because I think most of the time for people even to be that invested in something, uh, I suspect they, they're probably likely to come back to a game that's getting positive word of mouth that's in a genre they care about. Sure, I, I think that is certainly true to some extent, but uh, there there are also some stories that I could tell, uh, not on this podcast, uh, apologies, uh, about uh, cases where that was not the case or close to not being the case, and companies almost disappeared that would be kind of surprising. Uh, you know, again, I wish I could go into more detail on that. Tune in but to Game I still Design a- Roundtable next week <laughs> to hear the... Yeah, I, it won't be it won't be for me. <laughs> Somebody else might tell that story, but yeah, you know, it it is important. I mean, there's a reason why these companies spend so much time and money on PR and marketing. It it matters. And you know, it doesn't matter 100% in every case, but it is something that you have to consider, especially when you are a smaller developer, you have fewer bullets, you don't have as much money behind you. So it, it is a thing, how much of a thing? It's hard to say, but yeah, I mean, if 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 your early access game kind of gets a bad rap because of one bug, and you know, it, oh, randomly just popped up on the front page of Steam, that could be it. That could be you know virtually the end of your company's long term prospects. So it's you know a little scary. So I actually want to just because we, yeah, I just wanted I wanted to ask everyone here. Um, we we sort of been talking about like the, the the question of the the first impression, and I, I'm curious whether you feel that it holds true with something like early access that you only have one chance to make a first impression. Because increasingly, I feel the way people are hearing about games is not via you know the the the, the marketing blitz that accompanies a major launch. A lot of the way people I know are getting games, a lot of the way games are sort of coming to my attention is sort of this slow um, process of accretion. Uh, we call it hype accretion, if you will, uh, where games, you know, start out, there's a little buzz around them. They get improved. New features are added. More people hop on the bandwagon. You start seeing more activity, you know, more more Let's Plays, more more streams. Uh, things sort of there, there's a momentum to a successful early access game that I, I think sort of belies the notion that there's that the launch window exists in the way it's that term has been traditionally meant in the past. Yeah, it's interesting. I think the first impression is very important, but it actually gives you more more chances to make impressions. I mean, I think if you look at a game release now and a game tale from strictly kind of a, a business standpoint. Um, you want as many event and marketing bullets as you as you can get, and what I'd say is it actually gives you more opportunities um, to make 
impressions, but there's still a huge value in the first one. So when I was kind of talking about how a lot of our marketing strategy was based around making making splashes out of nowhere, sort of, so to speak. But the nice side benefit is it didn't feel like everything depends only on that. There is still a chance to kind of rescue yourself if you, if you try to make a splash and it doesn't work. Um, because maybe for the same psychological reasons that Soren was talking about where, you know, if you get disappointed, you're, you're kind of maybe waiting to be, you know, excited again. I think the same could apply that you could have a poor early access launch and then have a great patch or great update that is so, you know, magnificent that now it becomes a story of how, you know, from the depths of despair, your game was <laughs> rescued back into meaning. Um, people just kind of want a story. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that Rob's theory is correct. Like, I think it's more healthy <laughs> if if sort of the, you know, the attention the games bit, get sort of grows gradually. Like, I think having having a one specific date you have to hit where you're bombarding people with like your first impression. I think that's, I think that's very unhealthy. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I just don't know. I, I, my sense from seeing how people have come into off world is that it comes from all sorts of crazy sources. You know, there is a streamer that's popular that decides to start talking about it. There's a popular YouTube video that came up. Someone mentioned it on a blog, you know, there was an article here and that stuff is just sort of, it's just sort of ongoing. It's hard to predict. You know, it's hard to know where it's going to come from. And you can sort of see scientifically that, like, when you're on the front page of Steam, it means X, right? You're going to get this many impressions, and this is your click-through, and this many people are going to buy the game, probably. And so, like, that stuff is very predictable. But after that, it just seems, um, yeah, kind of kind of chaotic, and probably as it should be, because that that the stuff that happens afterwards is based off of, you know, frankly, how good your game is, you know, how much people want to play. Like one of the things I heard from some people at Valve is that, you know, the the the, the best way to market your game is that little thing that pops up when it says so and so is playing Crusader Kings 2 or whatever. Right. And Steam, when you play like that's that is the number one way that games spread, you know, and, that, and that's part of the reason when you look on, you know, um, that's the number one reason the games like Civ Five and XCOM and stuff like that do so well on Steam is because people play those games for hundreds of hours, and so they they keep popping up there down in the bottom right, and people keep seeing them, and eventually they're like, well, now why is my friend keeping playing this game that I've never heard of? I'm gonna you know start to figure out what that's about. <laughs> True, and and you know kind of where my argument is coming from is if you can amass all of that attention at once and five of your friends are playing this game you've never heard of mm -hmm. then you know it's like a hundred percent chance that you're gonna at least check it out and ask them what's going on if you see one random person you know one friend playing some random game you might be like okay well all right well he's a weird guy anyways whatever but if all your friends are playing it then it's suddenly okay i gotta figure this out and then suddenly one of your other friends sees that there's six people and then one of your other friends sees that there's seven people so you know it's kind of just the basic marketing theory um, but you know, to get back to what Rob was, was saying, it's, it's so hard to say, and you know, everything I'm talking about here, you know, I have a pretty strong opinion certainly, but it's, it's an opinion. It's certainly not factual. And what's so tough is we tend to notice the outliers in both directions. We see games that have done really well through early access and we see the games that have done really terribly through early access. But what does that 80%, you know, middle part of the bell curve look like? Uh, you know, is that gradual uh, buildup that Soren was talking about actually occurring? 
I don't know. Does anybody know? I mean, maybe Valve knows, uh, but beyond that, it's it's really hard to say. And I, I kind of worry. You know, we we tend to look at a lot of the games that do super well, and I would say, uh, you know, Darkest Dungeon certainly fits into that category. It's in that uh, you know upper ten percent of the bell curve, uh, but not every game is. And you know, if you're a developer, are you aiming for that top ten percent? Can you expect that? Can you build your business plan around that? You know, put your employees' livelihoods on the line for that? I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of playing it more closer to the middle, uh, but not everyone should or needs to. I just uh, for me, I think it's you know, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive on the design side and a little bit more conservative on the uh, production scheduling side. Uh, but not everyone needs to go that direction. Yeah, to me, the big unanswered question is what's going to happen when we transition, when we actually have the actual release of Offworld. Um, is is it just going to be a non-event or is it going to be a big deal, right? Like, you know, we, we have a publisher, so they're going to make it a big deal, right? They're going to market the game and we're, there's going to be lots of articles and there's going to be ads and there's going to be a lot of stuff. So I'm I'm not too worried, but I'm kind of curious what, what the situation is going to be for your average game going from early access to uh, regular release, you know, like, because to me, that's, that would be, you know, if, if you're very worried about a launch, that's sort of the number one argument for why maybe Steam early access is something to be worried about is if it basically kills your regular release. And I, I just don't have enough data to know, to know, answer that question. So something that I am increasingly observing, and this seems to hold true across like games, websites and, uh, sort of things like video and streaming is that everything is very bandwagony. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone loves a winner and which can be a little frustrating if you're trying to promote things that are maybe a little more off the beaten path. Like, uh, like one of the thing, one of the things you rapidly discover if, you know, if you work in games media is that, you know, you actually have very little power to shape any sort of opinion or, or bring attention to, to uh, smaller games that you like, like you're you're kind of a drop in the bucket, and that's that's not a, like that's not a cry for I should be more important. That just means that like the one of the jobs that like people in my job try to fulfill is sort of celebrating things maybe you haven't heard of. Uh, but the thing is, that's that's that doesn't always move the needle. You still need sort of a critical mass of, of people sort of jumping aboard and celebrating the same thing before people really start sitting up and taking notice. Um, so I what what I observe a lot around sort of early access games transitioning into uh, launch games. I observe this a little bit with Sunless Sea. Um, I, I see it happening a little bit with with uh, Project Cars, even though that's not been a traditional early access uh, game. Once a game has a pretty popular following, it actually sort of encourages games media, both old and new to sort of jump aboard and do more stories and more coverage for a game. Uh, and you start looking for like fresh news hooks, you know, why are we talking mm -hmm. about this? Well, here's right. a new excuse. And th th I mean, this is a reason why we have like, here's, here's another, here's another gameplay trailer. This is why we have so many posts like that. And I think when you have a, when you have a game launching for real, doing the, doing the final, like, you know, formal release, uh, if the buzz is already really good around that game, what you start seeing is suddenly everyone is streaming it more. Everyone is releasing let's plays. Everyone is posting, uh, you know, posting reviews, posting launch trailers, uh, doing all the doing all the messaging you want because people want to hear about this game. And in a way, early the the battle was already fought and won in early access. 
And what happens at launch is everyone is just sort of circling around again. And this is the time for everyone to sort of cash in on the interest that's already, that already exists around the game. So I don't feel like it sort of kills your buzz. I, I, I feel like if, if the game is successful in early access and has positive word of mouth and, and is popular, um, what ends up happening is, uh, you know, the, the formal launch turns into running up the score. I don't know, I don't know if that actually affects your overall like sales potential, but certainly it seems like you know f- for 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 a lot of successful early su- successful early access games, uh, the launch still enjoys a lot of uh, hype, and a lot of that hype is free. Do Do you have any uh, examples of like games that came out on Steam early access specifically? Because you know that's kind of what I'm targeting here uh, with a lot of my my commentary. Uh, you know, going from a, you know, this is out on Steam early access, you know, you get your articles on Rock, Paper, Shotgun and PC Gamer and whatnot. Uh, and then it comes back around to a big release, uh, you know, officially. And I'm sure there are ones out there. I've just, I just don't know about them, which is why I'm asking. Some of the C's, Rob brought it up, but there seemed like a good, a good recent example um, where they did, they did seem like they did pretty good in early access. And then when they released, yeah, they got a bunch of, they got a bunch of articles and they, you know, popped into the, you know, popped into the top seller list on Steam, and um, you know, I saw them at GC, and they're happy with really how the game's going, and so it seems like their their transition to release went pretty well for them. I'd be okay. interested to know how much they, you know, uh, kind of what the size of their release revenue was in comparison to their maybe early access launch revenue. Yep, I was too polite to ask, <laughs> but I think everyone would love to know. Next, Is there a next good year. example of of? Uh, you know, they, they changed some fundamental things like their combat system. Like they right. did very well up front in terms of, you know, atmosphere. Then they changed their combat system. And then they, you know, then they released. So, yeah, I'd be really curious. I, I can say, you know, that's the multi-million dollar question around our office is, is what, you know, yeah, how's it, how's final launch going to be? But our kind of attitude was if we can manage to have a good early access, then, you know, then at least, you know, you're kind of making hay while the sun shines in terms of, you're, I look at it a bit as diversification too. There's, um, there's a lot of things outside your control as far as how your game does. I mean, you know, obviously we're all designers, so we'd like to focus on, you know, making a good game, which is absolutely important, but you know, there's launch week considerations. There's, um, you know, just a variety of different things. And I, I kind of look at maybe one advantage of having an early access launch followed by rolling into full release is in a way, if you abstract everything, it's a bit of diversification that, you know, if you happen to kind of launch your game at a time when the press is busy and maybe it has a lot of potential, but it just goes unnoticed, you know, and then you do another launch later, who knows, maybe one of those two will hit at the perfect time. Um, and then the, under your control, I think are, you know, we don't know how it's going to do when we roll to, to full release. We don't know if we'll sell, you know, a quarter as much as we did our early access launch or half or, or twice or four times, you know, it's tough to say. So the one thing, you know, we can control is, we want to make that full launch an event. And so the way we're going to do that is um, there's certain features of the game that we're just not even going to release during early access, most notably the darkest dungeon itself and the vehicle for wrapping up the game Boom. isn't going to come until 1.0. And, <laughs> you know, that's really intentional. We would like to launch a bit earlier to get, you know, to test it out a bit more, but we want there to be a reason for the stories aside from just, Hey, you know, this game that did pretty well is, is now technically 1.0, but really you can't tell any difference. So we actually are, are purposefully trying to set up, 
you know, a feature event for that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've heard anecdotally from some people that you can kind of expect to sell maybe three or four times. You know, if you're on early access for a reasonable period of time, like you'll probably sell about three or four times what you do in after you release, you know, what you did before you did. Um, and if that's true, I think that would be great. But, you know, I just I think the jury is still kind of out. Um, and actually, this is a good time to transition to the mistakes John's making with at the gates by not going up <laughs> on early access. Um, so because in in the ideal world, which, you know, we're still hoping is is true, like essentially, go, you know, if you don't go up on early access, you're costing yourself one release, essentially. Like, I mean, I, I understand that you don't want to be out there, you know, sort of, at a, you know, a very out there on a very visible storefront until you're almost done. But what I would just say is, well, get to that point and then don't launch on Steam, but launch on early access. Like, guaranteed there's going to be stuff you discover once you go up on early access that you can't find out right now with the, the group of people that is playing the game. So use it. You know, it's it's a tool, right? Like, you know, it, it, presumably you're not in a situation where you're going to absolutely have to release on on Steam for some specific reason. Be like you're going to be forced by your publisher. That's not going to happen to you. So, you know, use early access. I mean, if you're very comfortable with the quality of your game, like it's it shouldn't you know, it shouldn't be a, a problem for you. Like, like Tyler said, you know, if you have a quality game under the access, you can really stand out there. And, and this is where I come in and say, that's exactly what we've done. <laughs> so the, the, the game is available early access. Uh, we, we actually used that, those words, uh, in sequence together in the same yeah. place on our website. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been putting up Let's Play videos and stuff. Um, sure. you know, I'm not sure when this, uh, recording is going to go up, but we just did one yesterday. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, the only thing we pretty much haven't done is like run a big marketing campaign, uh, right. and put it up on steam. So yeah, absolutely. Bringing in new people is, is super important. Uh, so, you know, right. we are definitely pursuing lowercase early access, if not yeah. uh, uppercase. Well, but when you do go to uppercase early access, like you are going to get to be on the front page of steam for a certain period of time, you know, it may or may not be long, depends on how well you do, but you are, you know, you want to do that you know, as much as you can, basically. And if you don't do an early access release, you're sort of costing yourself one of those. True. But, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, it's in the end, it, what everybody is seeking is that that build up, that that right. critical mass. And the question is, do you do that with multiple releases or do you do that with one big release that just is so big that it's it's kind of it snowballs uh, immediately? And the question is whether you can, you know, obviously you can do it both ways. Both waves have been done. The question is what is more reliable. And yeah, it, it sounds like we need to uh, do another show here in uh, in, in a couple of years uh, once we have data <laughs> and both of our games are, you know, actually out. Yeah. Uh, so we can talk to that extent. I'm, um, and, and, I mean, a high level of my philosophy is you want you want as many steps as possible where you have, you know, like a small, a very small group playing, like, you know, literally that's the friends and family stage. Then, you know, a little, a little bit more people then a little, a little bigger group and a little bigger group. And you want that, that ramp up to be as smooth as possible. Right. And right now I feel like, uh, you know, steam early access fills in one of those gaps in a nice way from going to the really tiny group to the really, really big group. And of course I've talked about how I want another, <laughs> another bridge kind of between there, but uh, yeah, I would be, I would be very, I would very much not want to go from the, the, you know, very small, you know, uh, website forum based group to the, you know, the full on, 
you know, this is my final Steam release. But I mean that that's why I look that that's why I see you know Steam early access as like a, a good step if it makes sense for your project because it's just one one more of those steps up the staircase, which I think is healthy for a project. Yeah, it's weird too because if you uh in a perfect world, you know, I think if we've kind of harnessed lightning or whatever you want to say and and uh you know even you know, it should organically grow. Grow. So it's kind of sometimes it, it's at odds with what you even want because, like you're saying there, you'd love for a way for it to be on Steam, but not really be put in front of everyone's faces. You know, but then if it spreads word of mouth, it could it could pick up. You know, it's it's just kind of funny that there's the the marketing side, the business side, which is sometimes obviously at odds with um, maybe the speed at which you'd like to get there. You know, maybe from a design perspective, you you eventually want it to be huge and you know on everybody's computers but um but you don't want to get there too fast because you want time to be able to sort everything out and you know sand down the rough corners yeah so john you, john, you might want to check out infinifactory um because they they're doing sort of what i'm kind of suggesting for you which is uh, that's the guy who made space chem um and uh it may not even be they it may just be a him i'm not sure but um he um he basically like, finished the game and just said, well, instead of just releasing it on Steam like I would normally, I'm just going to go ahead and just put it on early access first just because, you know, basically why not, right? Like I might as well just see what happens. Um, and then, you know, I can go to full release right away if I feel like it or I can leave it here as long as I need to, to tweak it, you know? <laughs> of course, you have actually have to have a game that's done uh, for that to, to work. <laughs> well, that's actually something I wanted to bring up a little bit. And I know we're... we're running a little short on time, but this is the other thing I wanted to get to, which is just your work as a designer. Once a game starts getting a lot of, a lot of players uh, having access to it, because I, I, I sort of, I sort of got the impression, John, and I, I could, I could be wrong about this, but I, I got the impression that one of the other reasons you, you were a little bit hesitant to fully embrace this is because as long as the game is sort of for you and a small group of, of a relatively small group of testers, um, you have a lot of freedom to contemplate radical changes uh, without sort of upsetting the apple cart. You haven't sold people a product that they, they bought a certain set of features and you're now obligated to support those. You sort of have, you know, you, you retain complete say over the design. It doesn't become a negotiation with the community it's your game. You get to, you get to sort of work on it. And I'm a little bit curious whether or not, um, I'm I'm a little bit curious whether or not like having something out there on early access with tons of people playing it, uh, exerts some kind of influence on your approach to the, to your own game as a designer. Oh yeah. I mean, to, to a certain extent that is absolutely true. And I don't think, uh, you know, Tyler Sorton would dispute that either. Your game has to be, you know, not finished, but your game has to be what your game's going to be uh, before you want to put it out there in in any capacity. Uh, you know, I'm I'm kind of presuming a little bit here, but I, I would say that uh, you know, both for Offworld Training Company and Darkest Dungeon, it's like, okay, well, this is what the game is. It's not, you know, it's not finished, finished, but you can play all the way. Uh, you know, you can play multiplayer. There are victory conditions, the experience of the game. Uh, you know, when you're progressing, you're leveling up your characters in Darkest Dungeon. That's what the progression is going to be. There's the different uh, buildings where you can you can send them and and upgrades that you can give them. And and off world, all the resources are there. And uh, you're playing the game. 
in something like at the gates though you know, the ai isn't fully done yet so it's like okay if you declare war on somebody you just steamroll them every time it's like well that is a completely different experience from okay well you know we have some more balancing to do or the the end game content isn't there it's like okay this isn't the game that we want to ship this isn't the finished game this isn't the finished experience that we want people playing yet so you know it kind of gets back to the uh, single player versus multiplayer uh dichotomy there but also a, a content uh not even content game but more of a procedural world game versus a non-procedural world world game where at the gates is you know all these different webs of systems coming together and every web has to be done before it works uh in a game like darkest dungeons like okay well you know we didn't have the the last levels fleshed out and uh, the enemies for that aren't there yet and you know certain items aren't in it's like well you can still you can still experience the game you can play through the first few levels as it is intended to be experienced so I think there's a big difference there. Uh, but, I, you know, you guys can tell me if I'm uh, kind of putting words in your mouth here. No, that's that's definitely true. I, I think we couldn't have launched early access or, or we shouldn't have launched early access until, you know, a certain critical mass of features were there. And that certainly, you know, uh, was one contributing factor to us kind of waiting quite a while um, from our original maybe schedule of when we thought we'd launch. But, um, Rob, what you were saying, it definitely changes uh you know, we have a lot more players in the game than we thought we were going to have at this point. And it, it becomes, I mean, there's just so many ways that that affects for, for good and bad. I would say um, it does affect your your design process and your mental process. And that's a lot of that's intentional. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we did early access. We wanted to see what things respond, people respond to positively and, and what they have problems with. Um, you know, we want to be influenced by the community. So, so that's intentional. But, you know, some of the downsides are... Uh, you have a lot more burden of communication. You have a ton more burden of um, community management from a standpoint of not wanting to destabilize the community. Um, you know, as, as we all know, you, you make a nerf or you change something and that can be a huge deal regardless of, of how big of a nerf it was. You know, it's almost like a binary thing. If you nerfed, then, you know, panic ensues uh, regardless of how big. So, you know, I have, I kind of vacillate between feeling like, there's a ton of momentum, like it's a freight train and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to stop or, or, or accelerate. Um, but also telling myself that we can't be afraid to do, you know, to turn on a dime. And there's days that kind of, I think it makes sense to be really careful and cautious. And then there's days that I think you have to remind yourself we're in early access. This is why we're in early access. And if we want to make a dramatic change to try it out, we're going to do it. And um, it's a tough balance for sure, because there's a lot more just responsibility and in some ways accountability even um with a large player base out there because if you do something and it goes horribly wrong you know you can probably you can recover from that but if you do a few of those in a row now you've got a confidence problem and those aren't things that you have to worry about as much before it's in so many people's hands so you know we're still very early in it and um we were kind of aware you know i've worked on some live games before in terms of the mobile side or whatever so a little bit kind of familiar and expecting that, but it, it still is difficult. You know, there's, there's times you just think that, oh man, you know, do we dare do this thing, <laughs> you know, or, or should we be happy with the thing that's working, you know, 85%, um, because, you know, is it, is it worth the risk of trying to get it to 95% or we might, you know, drop down to 30%. Yeah. I mean, knowing that darkest dungeon, I mean, essentially already is probably you know, a, a success at the level that you didn't anticipate, you know, do you kind of wish that you had a middle step where, 
you know, it, uh, you'll be able to continue some more development that's not quite so, um, where you, you know, where, where you don't have so much of the downsides. You know, I mean, you know, I'm just happy with how it's gone. I mean, we kind of, you know, everything we would have wanted it to do by launching early access happened. Um, you know, we didn't expect it to do as well. We thought it would be a more gentle ramp up, but so, so it's kind of weird. Like I'm, I, I really can't be unhappy with any way about it, but it is, you know, I have to almost write on the mirror that um, don't be afraid to turn the boat, you know, like don't be afraid to try things. And so we've, we've been working on that messaging kind of even in advance of doing anything truly drastic um, just to kind of prepare people. But I, I, I think, you know, it's sure maybe in a perfect world, you, you'd love to still be in, in the bubble. I mean, I kind of thought about that before we launched, there was a couple weeks before we launched that I was just thinking, you know, enjoy this period right now where I can roll changes out with, with a minimal amount of communication and, uh, and effect, um, you know, and, and I, you know, it's just the way it goes. It's kind of like you pass that point and there's no putting the genie back in the bottle. So, you know, yeah, it's from a purely design standpoint, it'd be nice, but it's a good problem to solve. I mean, that, that's, that's really the case. It's like community management. It's, it's difficult and time consuming and can be fun and can be, you know, hair pulling, but it's a good problem to have to solve. Yeah. I mean, I have to, so I feel like I have to sort of continually remind the team and myself, like what our philosophy should be in early access, which is, um, you know, a lot of these people are very on the team are very veteran developers. They've been in the industry for 10 years or something. And they're used to only being in a situation where they're dealing directly with fans and, you know, uh, putting stuff in the game based off of that. The only time they've seen that before is post-release basically. Right. And so like we still refer to these, the, the things we do as patches, not as updates. Right. Because that's, that's the way we're used to thinking. Um, but we have to remind ourselves that like, we're not patching the game. We're making the game. Right. And like, it's okay if we, like we, we shouldn't be terrified of failing. Like the, the worst thing that could ever happen is if we roll out an update and there's something wrong, which we'll probably find out in a few hours, we can just immediately roll back to the previous version on steam. Right. Like, so, and beyond that, like it is early access. This is what this thing is for. And you know, though there might be some people upset, but like for this to be a healthy part of development, we have to keep reminding ourselves that we are in development and we can make some major changes. I'm like, I'm, I'm currently rewriting the campaign right now, today, as we speak. Well, not while we speak, but <laughs> around when we speak. And, Talented. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, because, I, you know, there, there were some people who were happy with the campaign, but I, I ultimately wasn't with where it was. Um, but, you know, it's a matter of degree. I mean, I've seen some of the changes John has made to At The Gates, and for sure, those are significant and radical, and he probably should not have made changes like that if he was on Steam Early Access. So, <laughs> you know, there, there is definitely a, a continuum. Yeah, it'd be a lost opportunity to, uh, you know, to believe that you can no longer improve the game because maybe it's selling well or or whatever. So, yeah, it is, you kind of have to remind yourself. And, um, you know, time will tell, I guess, how tolerant the community is. I've, obviously, a lot of people have been through um, more of this in terms of, you know, we're, we're still only have been out a month. Uh, I will, I will kind of relate one silly story though. You know, usually a fear with early access is that the developers are going to abandon the game or something um, because that's happened with games that maybe, you know, don't sell. And then of course it puts the developers in a really tough situation of if they didn't have the runway to finish it, then how are they going to do it now? But 
but one day we woke up and there was a you know all caps forum post of Red Hook enough with the updates already. So we had to chuckle about that because you you know I think even if you even if you're marching according to what you might try to lay out as your ideal early access plan, I think anytime you have a community, then you know you're going to have people with differing opinions and you know and managing that can be tough. You know some people are you know like in that case, he's kind of saying. I barely have time to play the updates before another update comes out, which we thought was a little unusual. But, uh, you know, those are the things that take a percentage of your time and a percentage of your mind share instead of sometimes solving the design problems. Do you guys have a, a schedule now? Like we've just recently moved to basically a three week update schedule mm-hmm. and where we're going to we're going to name each of those updates specifically like Alpha 1, Alpha 2, etc. And we'll see if that like works out well for us. We have a we have a course um, we have certain key events planned that are going to be kind of themed and featured and marketed, um, and then we're still doing I guess what you would say stability or small improvement updates just organically. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we if we do kind of settle into a. Um, a schedule, but what we're kind of just looking at is there's key beats, and we really want to plan and, and promote and talk about those beats and, and theme the features. But we don't want to, um, you know, if we're able to make an improvement today that would benefit the, the populace today, then we'll roll that out, and especially in the case of stability or, you know, bug fixes and things like that. So we're still, um, I, I would say we, we knew support would be a big deal, but we're still kind of digging ourselves out of of the support phase. Um, and we haven't settled solidly into, like, I would still say up until, I think it'll change this week, hopefully, but, um, I would still say we've been spending more than 50% of our time doing support and stability and management and things like that. Um, and we're looking forward to getting back to where, you know, the greater percentage of our time is on new features and we do have it planned and it's coming. It's just, it takes a while and, Keeping the the players apprised of that is is a challenge as well, and making sure that they're patient. No, you know we haven't gone silent. We're we're working on these things, but our first priority, you know, at the time was making sure everyone who has bought the game can play it. So, yeah, yeah. And everyone, everyone who goes up on simulator access should plan for that. That your first two months is just going to be you know primarily support stuff, and that's fine. Like you'd have to do that support stuff anyway after you release the game regularly. So it's better that you're able to do it now. It's just part of the process. Obviously, like Soren, you you have some you you sort of want that you you want that half step between the 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 early access the capital early access uh, launch and then being promoted on Steam, um, but you still take people's money, right? Like, do you recommend like do you recommend like interested people play your own game right now, or do you feel this is something that um you know you if you're recommending it to a friend, is this something you would uh, you'd say like come back and play my game when when I say it's done, or do you say the more the merrier right now? Uh, do I recommend Offworld Trading Company? Yeah, is that what you're asking me? Yeah, <laughs> um, I recommend Offworld Trading Company to uh, people who uh, want to see what is you know want who want to see how the game is developed, you know who want to be part of the experience of playing the game voicing your opinion about it and you know seeing how we iterate on the game you know i think that if you're someone who wants to have the best possible off-world trading company experience then you should wait yeah you should wait to release Mm -hmm. that's what i recommend and uh tyler i I am a little curious uh for for you as well like how important do you think is that last bit of uh you know end game content and and the polishing you're doing on darkest dungeon right now 
you know, because when I play it, certainly it, it seems it seems pretty polished, except for uh, that horrific difficulty curve at the beginning. Um, it, it looks like it's in great shape. Uh, so, so, so I'm a little bit curious. You know, same same question to you. Like, um, you know, is this something you you, you know you, you encourage people to get into now, or is this another thing where people sh- you know people should wait? It's not quite up to uh, your ideal standards. Question. I think, uh, yeah, I think I would encourage people to play it um, with the caveat that, that you know, if you are not, if you don't like early access games, wait for sure. You know, and that, that's, that's obvious, I guess. But what I mean by that is, you know, the game will be there for you um, when you feel like it. And I think given the nature of it and, you know, it being uh, single player and, you know, there's a lot of fun experiments to be had. Um, I think I think there's enough of a core there that you can get many hours. Of, you know, I sound like a marketer. I'm not intentionally sounding like a marketer, but I guess through now empirical evidence, like it seems like people are playing a bunch of hours and enjoying it, and so that makes it easier for me to to say, oh yeah, you know, you could you'll get your money's worth, you'll have fun, um, you know. But if for any reason you've got kind of a a philosophical stance of not wanting to see a game in the middle of development, yeah, I think what what I you know what I'm telling people now that I think about is, yeah, you can get in there and have fun, but don't expect to see updates or expect to see updates, changes. Don't be surprised that you might hit a bug. Um, and so it really comes down to to tolerance for that. Um, which I know is, I, I suppose, like straddling the fence a little bit, but we had to believe in it, you know, enough to launch it. And I'm sure Soren feels the same way, you know, in the sense of we knew that some people would get enjoyment out of it and, um, you know, we want that group to be sort of self-selecting and certainly there will be more in it and, you know, the balance will be fine-tuned. There will be more features and more monsters and more stuff and ability to finish the game later. So, you know, I guess it would be hard to dispute analytically that you will have potentially a better experience later. But, um, you know, I've played a lot of games myself that are in various levels of completion and there's still some fun factor there. So, I mean, we feel like we're giving them their money's worth now and it'll continue to improve. And, you know, so you get to see those things roll out as they come out, which I think can be fun. You know, you can, you can literally have that, that voice in shaping it. And that sounds like a, a bullet point that we say of justification for launching early access, but it really, it really is true. I mean, we've trying to think of specific examples, but you know, there's so much feedback out there and occasionally we are pretty surprised of the things that we thought would be hot button issues that people don't, really have a problem with and and then things that uh we didn't think were big deals that people want to see more of so you know it does it does shape it so yeah i mean i think there's just different types of players right like i mean i think there's lots of players who want that one perfect experience they're going to get with with each specific game they buy um and then there's other players who you know i mean just just you know last night i was you know up late playing off world with with people you know with the people who've bought it online and you know i was streaming it with people and discussing it on twitch and then we got on a skype call and we were discussing you know what changes needed to be made to the hacker array for the patch that's going to come out tomorrow and like i mean i i love that type of experience and they're you know the people who were involved in it were really excited about you know you know that being part of that process but it takes a sort of it takes a sort of special player to like really want to be involved at that level right yeah it's the wild west i mean looking back to like when i first started playing world of warcraft 
you know, you go to the auction house and no one knew what anything was worth. And it was, it was kind of, there was an element of fun there that I really enjoyed of, you know, and then once all the tools came out and all the databases and the website aid, you know, aids, then it, it actually lost a lot of the fun for me in that regard. And I suppose you could say the same thing about the game right now. You know, we currently, you can go in there and break the game with certain party combinations and things and we may or may not restrict those later. And I mean, that's kind of, it, it's the Wild West. So if you want a really ordered town where no one gets to wear their six shooters on their hip, then it might not be the place for you right now. But uh, yep. yeah, I can tell there's definitely some players who are kind of the, the core multiplayer community that like kind of looks forward to like finding, okay, what's the new, the new hole, you know, in the game, you know, that they're going to find with each, with each uh, patch that comes through. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you don't, you don't get that experience quite so much after a game comes out. So John, where do you go from here? Have you read anything? Have you read anything here that's making you um, reconsider? Uh, are you going to do what what Soren clearly feels is the smart move uh, as he conceals his panic about your future? Um, I think uh, I think from here I just gotta take to the rope. No, it's uh, no. I think <laughs> that I, was I, dark. <laughs> Darkest. <laughs> Did on. Um, no, it's. It, I mean, I'm I'm gonna stay the course, and in a couple of years we'll we'll have another throwdown. It'll probably be uh, more intense. One of us might be hospitalized. Hard to say, uh, but no, I, you know we're we're all kind of getting at the same place. We mm-hmm. we want to make good games. We want to get feedback. Uh, we want to build up the excitement and attention. And you know, in the end, what matters is whether or not you made a good game. Uh, because as long as you don't completely screw up the uh, marketing side, uh, then that's, you know, that's going to shine through at the end of the day. So uh, it's just a question of, you know, what is the ideal way to get there? And, you know, there's no perfect answer to that. It's it's going to be different for every game. If you released the exact same game a year earlier, or a year later, it would be a completely different answer for that as well. Uh, everything is based on the time and place and environment and what's going on, what other games have come out, uh, you know. I don't think that uh, a game like City Skylines, as far as good as it is, would have done nearly as well had it not been for you know the previous SimCity game, which disappointed a lot of people. And that's not something you can you can predict uh, as a developer. You can't say, well, this other company is going to release this game, so boom, you know, we're going to do really great because their game isn't going to you know do as well. Whatever. So it's 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 that fuzzy you know marketing side really because uh, I think on the development side we're all on the same exact page. It's just a question of how do you best get your game out there and people talking about it. Um, and we'll see. It's going to be changing constantly. So hopefully uh, we'll have another interesting conversation down the road, and uh, you know things will probably uh, not have been settled at that point even. But that's yeah. uh, that'll make it fun. We'll come back a third time. <laughs> and what a great place to be, to be. I mean, all of these questions would have just completely been unfathomable 10 years ago, right? Like, oh, yeah. We just, this was not even something I could really could have imagined back then. Like I was saying earlier, the convergence of sort of the business models and the distribution. And it, it's, it's really fun because we can do this. You know, we can look and say, okay, well, there's a lot of different paths we could go from here. And we can point to examples of games that have succeeded on each of those paths. Um, you know, so it's less about following kind of a checklist and a lot more about soul searching and looking at your game, looking at the market, looking at what other games are doing. And, you know, I, I look at Darkest Dungeon's journey from the way we announced to we crowdfunded to early access and, you know, the, the story's not over. But if we turned around and did game number two right now, um, I'm not positive we would follow the same 
steps. You know, I mean, we would have a lot of information about what's worked, but, you know, I think we'd have to look hard at just kind of the climate or the way that we want to promote the game and test the game and all that. It's, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, how are you on Kickstarter? Well, I'm very pro Kickstarter because it, it worked for us, but I wouldn't recommend it as kind of the tonic to cure everyone's ailments. You know, it's, it's changes by the month. Uh, yeah, so I guess we will be revisiting this topic uh, in the future. Um, hopefully, John's studio hasn't been shut down by then. Um, <laughs> it'll have been uh, it'll have been bought out by Soren, and then he'll shut us down himself. <laughs> be like, you did you did well? Okay, with great not, relish. Not again. I will bring this podcast up <laughs> as long as you write me a two uh, two billion dollar check. I'll be okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. So right now, you can buy Soren's Off World Trading Company for forty dollars on Steam. Uh, it's an early access game, and maybe you want to play it if you want to work on it, if you want to play around with the unfinished game and see how it evolves. Uh, Darkest Dungeon is available on Steam Early Access as well for $20. Um, and I got to say, it's it's a lot of fun, except for the fact that apparently I'm just too crap to play it. Um, uh, well, that'll change. <laughs> just persevere. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like the. I'm not. I'm not sure the. Uh, my keyboard and mouse can sustain me persevering uh, with with this game much longer. Uh, I don't know why all the characters are such cowards. Well, that's not uncommon either. There's kind of you're on the same journey as uh, pretty much everyone. So we have to always reassure people that it's not you. It's the game. <laughs> but, and then you're you're going to come up on the crest where you realize it's getting easier. And then you're going to be contacting me in about two weeks saying this game is too easy you really need to buff, bump up the difficulty so <laughs> that's the journey that pretty much everybody follows <laughs> and uh john where can people get your game uh if you go to at the gates uh we have you know information about it there there's an early access link uh whatnot it's available for fifty dollars right now if you want to play early access otherwise it will be 30 on release so if uh you like pain come aboard because that's where you belong all right so we'll, we will revisit this in two years and see how it's all shaken out and uh i suspect by then the the early access question will definitely have been settled definitively uh because that's how that's how game development works these days we find we find definitive answers about the future of of game development and marketing and games media and uh once you, <laughs> yeah. once you find the solutions you're pretty much done Definitely, definitely. That. If any of you can time travel forward and then just come back with that answer, that would be really handy right now. <laughs> It'll work for us, not for you. That's the only caveat. Yeah, but how depressed are you guys going to be if, like, so that time traveler does come back and it's like, yeah, you really just should be making phone games. What, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Hey, uh, uh, Rob. Yeah. Uh, can I plug one thing? Um, yes. Because I think I, I think I haven't been on since I started my own podcast. So I've started my own podcast called Designer Notes. It's also on the Idle Thumbs Network, um, and it's basically me uh, interviewing one other uh, game developer, going into their details of their career. Uh, and so far, I've done them with uh, Rob Pardo of Blizzard, um, Frank Lance, uh, Daniel Cook, uh, Henrik Ferus, Fareus. Is that how it was pronounced? Yes. Uh, and John actually sat in on that one. He's the lead designer of uh, Crusader Kings 2, a bunch of Paradox stuff. Um, so if that sounds interesting to you, you should give it a listen. Dear listener. <laughs> Absolutely. Highly recommended. And uh, we will leave it there for, for this week. And we will see, you know, best wishes to all of you on your, uh, on finishing your games and releasing the best possible version. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Same to you guys. <laughs> we'll get there one day. 
<laughs> Good night, everybody.